Our sermon passage today is Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 20. I would say if you're using a church Bible, it's on page 484, but I don't think we had them out because of the need to clean them in their paper and hard to clean. But if you do need a Bible, let us know, and we can absolutely give you one of these to take home. Starting in verse 16, he, being Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The word of the Lord. So, as I mentioned when we first started, Pastor Jonathan's away. He's with uh, family in Colorado. And so we have a guest preacher today. And uh, Gordon Chinamasa is one of the elders over at Emmanuel where we planted from. And I know I'm really thankful that he's agreed to come over and uh, preach today. Gordon was born in Zimbabwe and uh, accepted Christ in his teen years. He's married, has two daughters. And he has had a lot of theological training. I'm not going to list it all for you, but he has a theology degree from uh, Cape Town Baptist Seminary. He's had some training at Gordon-Conwell. He has a master's degree in, um, I believe, social work, and he's working on a doctorate um, as well. And I'm excited to have him come and share all of that knowledge and wisdom with us this morning. So, Gordon, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to come and share with you uh, from God's Way this morning, and thank you, Andy, for uh, for that generous introduction. Um, why don't we start with uh, with a word of prayer? Gracious and heavenly Father, Your Word tells us that Your Word is a light unto our feet and a light unto our path, Lord. Father, this moment, even as we open up Your Word, Father, we pray that indeed um, You will. Light up our hearts, Lord God, that, Father, your, uh, your word will direct us, that your word will uh, shine all around us, and your word will direct us, Lord God, to go out into the world and proclaim that, indeed, Jesus Christ is Lord. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure uh, each and every one of you uh, can attest that we are indeed living at such an unprecedented time. Um, Research that has been coming up over the last several months has indicated that um, more and more people are identifying as feeling anxious, and as a result, more and more people are beginning to be prescribed with anti-anxiety medication. In my work experience where I work, um, I work uh, in a situation where I deal on a day-to-day basis uh, with people that are uh, undergoing some kind of crisis, primary uh, psychiatric crisis. And what I've experienced, what I've seen over the last several uh, months is that, um, indeed, there's been more and more people that have been coming in, uh, that I've been encountering, that are coming in primarily because of anxiety. People would come in and they would say, I feel under distress. My anxiety levels are high. I never used to experience uh, panic attacks, but suddenly I'm experiencing uh, panic attacks. 
And then as I involve in more discussion with them, I come to realize that they primarily identify two sources, two precipitating factors that are leading them to experience um, a high anxiety. Number one, anxiety because of the coronavirus. Um, since mid-March, when uh, the outbreak took place, you find that more and more people have been living in distress. It has certainly put everything upside down. Everything that was normal, everything that we're used to has so totally been turned upside down. People had to be followed from their work positions. People uh, lost sources of income. So it has really affected uh, people's lives in so many different ways. And that has caused a surge in people feeling, um, feeling anxious. But then secondly, what I've also come to realize is that um, as I engage in discussions with people, they would identify the second reason is just the social unrest that we've been uh, experiencing over the last uh, several months. Um, where, as many of you may already know, that there's been uh, some protests that have been taking place um, in the country, primarily because of the outcry of the injustices that people of color experience when it comes to encounters that they have, uh, they have with the police. And because of that, there's been such turmoil, there's been such um, upheaval that has been taking place uh, because of that. And that too has caused a surge in people feeling, um, uh, feeling anxious. And perhaps one movement that perhaps most of you are aware of is the Black Lives Matter that has been a response to what has been uh, going on, where there's been this movement that has been promoting people to stand up in order to fight against uh, the social injustices that are taking place um, um, in this country. And at the core of this are the, some of the racial uh, divides that are, that are there uh, between um, people of color and those um, that, are of, um, are, uh, that are white or, or, or Caucasians. And interestingly, um, the church has responded, uh, the church has responded to, uh, to this um, uh, situation. But what is interesting when you look at the response of the church, um, as I've been looking um, at social media, as I've been talking to people, you find that there's two responses that have come up, um, especially when it comes to people's reaction towards the Black Lives Matter way. On the one hand, there are those in the church that would support that movement and say what they're doing, their message they're putting across is right. Therefore, we need to support uh, that movement. But then there's been those on the other side that look at that movement and say that movement is unbiblical, that movement is um, uh, purporting something that is not in line with the Christian beliefs or the biblical uh, principles. Therefore, as Christians, we don't we should not have any association uh, with that movement. And unfortunately, these two sides, uh, these two polarized um, uh, views have caused some debate, have caused us to be detracted from what us as believers we need to be focused on when it comes to social justice issues uh, in, our, in our society. We have come to a place where now we spend time debating one another whether we should support the Black Lives Matter movement or not. And that has taken our eyes and our focus away from what we as Christians have been called to, uh, to be our response when it comes to social justice issues that do affect us um, in our day. And what's interesting, when you look at the history of the church, um, particularly here in, uh, in the United States, when you look at the history of the church, this has always been an issue where when it comes to social justice issues, unfortunately, there's been this dichotomy that has been created where, on the one hand, 
you have those that believe that as believers, as Christians, our response to social issues uh, and social problems is we need to not be engaged in those issues. They strongly believe that, yes, as Christians, we have been given the mandate of the gospel. However, the gospel should only be focused on us preaching the good news so that those that do not know Jesus Christ can come to salvation in him, and that should be our primary focus. When it comes to social issues, when it comes to issues of social justice, we should not be involved in those. So that has been one response um, of the church. And then on the other hand, you have others that believe that the sole mission, the sole purpose of the gospel is to go out into the world and speak to the social injustices that are taking place. Um, and unfortunately, um, that has led to a movement that is known as the social gospel movement, where the sole purpose of, of the gospel is seen as primarily to come in and speak to the social issues uh, that go on. And so this dichotomy has been something that has been going on um, in the church uh, for some time. However, when you look into, um, uh, into the gospel, when you look into, uh, into the Bible, when you look into the word of God, um, primarily the focus for this morning is the passage that uh, has been read that is uh, from Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 20. When you look at, at that um, passage, I believe that the mandate that we have been given as believers when it comes to propagating the gospel is to go out and propagate what I call the two-handed gospel mission. I believe the gospel has two missions. It has the mission on the one hand, yes, indeed, to speak to um, um, the spiritual situation that people find themselves in, speaking to those situations so that those that do not know Jesus Christ may come to faith in him. But also on the other hand, I believe the gospel also does send us into the world to speak into the social issues that are, are, that are taking place, to go in and labor and put our hands and our feet on the ground to make sure that we do undertake for the social issues that do, uh, that do um, okay in the world today. So um, with that in mind, let's uh, go to our passage and um, break this down a little bit and see what I mean uh, by that, that the gospel mandate that we've been given is a two-handed gospel mission, and as believers, we need to focus on going out and laboring to make sure that these two aspects of the gospel are undertaken. So coming to the passage, uh, just a little bit of context um, uh, into this passage. So this is a passage that we find right earlier on in, in the ministry, of, um, uh, in the ministry of, um, of, of, of Jesus Christ. So it's a way that Luke, uh, it's a passage that Luke uses to introduce to us who Jesus is. He also uses this passage to tell us what time it is and also to tell us what his mission was. So these are the three aspects that I'll be focused on who Jesus is, what, the time, uh, what time it is, and um, what was uh, his mission in coming into, into the earth. So here we find Jesus goes into a synagogue, and he's handed over a scroll. And he selects a passage from Isaiah 20, uh, 61, verse 1 and 2. And he reads out that, um, uh, he reads out that, um, uh, the, uh, that passage, and then he hands the scroll back, and he says, Today, this, uh, uh, basically this message, uh, this prophecy has been fulfilled um, amongst you. And this raises some questions among, among the people. I mean, who is this guy? I mean, isn't this the son of Joseph? Is he saying 
that this he is the messiah because obviously there was an understanding among the people this passage in Isaiah 61 is one of the passages that is known as a messianic mess, uh, uh, passage where back in the old testament times uh, several old testament prophets were uh, given a message to proclaim that in the future in in what they call in the day of the lord there was to be this messiah that was to come and this Messiah was to come in and liberate, uh, liberate the other uh, people. He was to set the captives free. He was um, those that were bound in uh, different ways, the way to be uh, liberated. And so there was this understanding amongst the people that there was this Messiah that was going to come and he was going to liberate, uh, liberate the people. And then just prior to this, John the Baptist came up preaching. And in his preaching, John the Baptist um, I did talk about the Messiah that was to come. He said, I'm not, I'm not the Messiah. Indeed, John the Baptist came in, and he did perform uh, some miracles. He did some, uh, some wonders, and people started coming to him, asking him, are you the promised one? Are you the Messiah? And he says, no, I'm not the Messiah. And then soon after that, now Jesus comes. He picks up a, um, uh, the scroll. He reads from a messianic passage, and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your midst. So this raises some questions in people's mind. Is this the Messiah? But at the same time, they're thinking, but isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Isn't this the son of the carpenter that we know? And mind you, this incident took place in, um, in, uh, in Galilee, in Nazareth, where Jesus came from. So they knew who he was. You know? So it's not like he's somebody that was coming down from, from Judea, uh, from Jerusalem, and coming in, and they were not aware who he was. They knew who he was. Some of them probably saw him growing up, they knew very well uh, which family he came from. So for him to pick up this messianic um, uh, passage and say, today this has been fulfilled, it really raised some questions. And so um, Jesus uses this opportunity to then introduce himself to indeed tell them that, yes, I am the Messiah. I am the promised one that was promised by the prophets who was going to come and liberate uh, the people. What makes me um, uh, say this Again, in Luke 7, um, a few passages after uh, this passage that, uh, that we read this morning, uh, John the Baptist sends um, some of his disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the one who is to come? Shall we look for another one? Again, even John the Baptist himself, he wasn't 100% sure, is this the Messiah? Is this the promised one? Is this the prophet that was promised that one would come and liberate us? So he sends his disciples uh, to Jesus to go and ask, are you the promised one? Are you the one that was to come? or we should look for another one that is to come. And Jesus replies uh, to, uh, to those that were sent by John, and he says, Go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Almost similar uh, wording to uh, the passage that, that we read. And he says, And blessed is he who takes no offense at me. So indirectly, Jesus says, he doesn't say, yes, I am the Messiah, I am the promised one, but indirectly, Jesus tells uh, those that were sent by John to say, go and tell John that, yes, indeed, I am the promised one, I am the Messiah. And how do you know? The same words, the same things that were promised by the prophets of old in the Old Testament, to, that, the prophet, that when the Messiah comes, these things will be done and will be fulfilled. I am doing those things. So indeed, I am the promised one, I am uh, the Messiah. So what Jesus meant in the synagogue in Nazareth on that day was that the day of the Messiah has arrived. 
He is the Messiah that was promised, and the day of the Messiah has indeed rised. So the hope for a king, a son of David, a liberator, a savior, a ruler of the world, a bringer of justice and peace, that is the Messiah indeed has come. And that is uh, what Jesus uh, proclaims to them. So firstly, when we come to the question of who was this man? Who was uh, Jesus pointing himself to be? He was indeed uh, pointing himself to be uh, the promised one, uh, the Messiah. And then secondly, um, what, time, what time was it? So when we go back to, um, uh, to that um, passage that he re- Jesus read from in Isaiah 61, which does reveal the, mis- uh, the mystery of the coming of the Messiah, the interesting thing is when the Old Testament prophets uh, and in this instance, the prophet Isaiah, when he brought that messianic message to say, in the day of the Lord, uh, the Messiah would come, there were two elements, there were two aspects of this, um, of this Messiah that uh, the prophets always um, uh, used to tie together. And on the one hand, the Messiah was to be somebody who was to come and sell, uh, liberate or bring salvation, but also at the same time, the Messiah was somebody who was going to come as a judge as well. So these two elements, always went together. So the Messiah was going to be one who brings salvation or a liberator, but also at the same time, the Messiah was somebody who was going to bring judgment upon, uh, upon the people. So, but what's interesting is when Jesus quotes that passage from Isaiah, he leaves out a certain, um, uh, a certain element. So this is how he, um, uh, he does. So he quotes the first part, which talks about the liberation, the salvation part, and he completely leaves out the part where Isaiah had spoken about the vengeance, the judgment that was to, uh, that was to come with the Messiah. So he didn't finish uh, that, uh, that sentence because the part that says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, Jesus did not uh, quote that part. So what he meant by quoting and leaving out that passage was that, yes, indeed, he was the Messiah that had come, but... His coming, his era, this day of the Lord was in two parts. It was a two-event, uh, it, uh, it was a two-act event. So there was the liberation, salvation on the one hand, and there was judgment on the other hand. But in his first coming, the element, the aspect that he really came to fulfill was the liberation, the salvation part. The judgment was to come later on. So Jesus did not deny that he, he did, indeed he was a Messiah that was coming to bring judgment. But what he said is, right now in your midst, what has been fulfilled is the first element of that, of that uh, prophecy. I am the one that has come to bring liberation and salvation. The judgment, yes, I am the Messiah that brings judgment and vengeance. However, that element was to come later on at his second coming. So this day of the Lord was not in the understanding of the prophets. This was an event that was going to take place in one time. What they didn't understand, and remember, when the prophets were prophesying, they were looking ahead. So they had this whole picture, but they really didn't have all the intricate details of how this was going to unfold. In their understanding, when the day of the Lord arrives, it would come, the Messiah would come with liberation, salvation, but also the, uh, the Messiah would come with vengeance and judgment. What they didn't understand was that when the day of the Lord finally arrives, when the Messiah finally comes, he's going to accomplish the first component, which was the salvation, and then there's going to be a time where God's patience, 
is going to be extended, and then such a time will come at his second coming when he would come and fulfill that mission where he would come with vengeance and, and judgment. And so that's what Jesus was doing by quoting this passage, but leaving out that aspect that deals with, um, uh, uh, with, with judgment. And um, indeed, uh, in John 12, 47 and 48, Jesus says, if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has a judge. The word I have spoken will be his judge on the last day. So again, Jesus emphasizes that his first coming was to fulfill the mission of salvation. However, his second coming would then come to fulfill the second component, which was the judgment, the vengeance of the Lord. So, um, again, in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 6, um, verse 2, Paul does touch up on this, and he says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So, again, that understanding that Jesus' first coming came to fulfill the first element, which was salvation, but, and judgment would, uh, would later follow. Um, so, we live in a day of great grace and patience uh, from God. So, we are part of... You know, uh, Jesus' first, com first coming um, about 2,000 years ago initiated that day of the Lord, which the prophets looked ahead and said one day that day would arrive. And we are living in the last days. We are still living in that uh, day of the Lord. And the, uh, the, um, the end of that um, day of the Lord will come in when Jesus finally comes in at his second coming, where you will come in uh, with, uh, with, his, um, with his judgment. And so, what time was this? This was the time of the day of the Lord. So Jesus comes in and he says, he proclaims to the people in the synagogue on that day that the day of the Lord has come in today. That prophecy of old that was promised has been fulfilled today. The day of the Lord indeed has come. And then thirdly, he does talk about his mission. What does the day of the Lord brings in? This salvation that he talks about, that on the, uh, the day of, when he comes in, it, uh, the, uh, the Messiah would come in with salvation. What does this salvation, this liberation, what does it uh, entail? So Jesus comes and he says, he came with the good news to the poor, specifically the good news to release the captive, uh, to bring a recovery of sight to the blind, and also liberation for those uh, that are uh, oppressed. So these are some of the elements of this salvation that uh, Jesus uh, brings, uh, uh, brought in uh, on that day. The mission of Jesus was to proclaim good news to the poor from captivity to sin. So one of the elements of salvation that Jesus brings in is for people to be, uh, uh, to be released from the captivity of sin. In Romans chapter 6, 22 and 23, Paul explains the gospel as being sent, uh, as being set, uh, being some, when somebody receives the gospel, they're basically being set free from, uh, uh, from sin, which leads, uh, and this sin leads to death. However, when they accept Jesus Christ, when they accept this gospel, they're set free from sin into eternal life in, uh, in Christ Jesus. So one of the elements is that Jesus' salvation, the salvation, his mission was to proclaim good news was to proclaim the gospel so that people can be set free from the captivity of sin. The second element was to bring healing of blindness, uh, and this blindness is basically the unbelief that people have. When people do not have belief, when do not have faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible uses this image of them being 
as if they were blind. And so by Jesus coming in to proclaim this good news, this gospel, he will, and people by having faith in him, it's as if this blindness that they had they, um, was removed away and then they would regain uh, their sight. So the second element was to uh, heal them from the blindness of unbelief. And indeed, Paul, uh, as he was uh, in the book of Acts, when he was explaining his mission, um, this was towards uh, the end after, after, one of his, uh, after one of the arrests, and then he's recounting his, um, his mission, what he has been doing, what God had called him to. Paul explains that he was commissioned with this gospel, with this good news, and this gospel was to go out and proclaim uh, the good news so that the Gentiles uh, would have their eyes opened so that they may turn away from darkness of unbelief to light. That's how Paul explained this mission. Again, we hear that, uh, that uh, language that uh, Jesus uses of um, blind people being opened, uh, their eyes being opened um, so that they may no longer be blind and they may be able to see. So this good news, this gospel uh, that Jesus brings in has the power of having people having their eyes opened to unbelief so that they can believe in him. And by that, salvation comes to them. They become saved. The third element uh, that, he, um, that he brings up here is being set free, being liberated from the oppression. And what oppression is he talking about here? Here he's talking about the oppression of Satan. Satan is, as being an enemy of God, comes and he holds um, us captive. He basically holds us captive, and in order for us to be liberated, to be set free from that captivity uh, that Satan brings, the gospel has to come in. You know, and by having faith in Jesus Christ, we are then liberated, we are then set free from the captivity that, um, uh, uh, that, that, uh, that we, and the oppression that, uh, that comes in um, from Satan. Paul, again, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 26, he does encourage Timothy to preach the gospel so that God may grant repentance and, they may, uh, and that people may come to know the truth and escape the snare of Satan. Again, we have that imagery of Satan coming in and holding and binding people and holding people. And it's only through the gospel, it's only through the power of the gospel that people can then be liberated from that captivity, from that oppression that comes uh, from Satan. And there's, there's nothing else. Um, we can try to do all sorts of things. Uh, we can try to work very hard to liberate ourselves, but every effort that we have on our own is futile. There is nothing that can liberate or set us free from the captivity or the oppression uh, that, uh, that, uh, that is there, except for the gospel of Jesus Christ, except by believing in him and trusting in him and having faith in him. Only then do people come to be liberated. Only then does salvation uh, uh, take place. Salvation is only by believing and trusting in Jesus in what he has done what is done on the cross at Calvary. No trusting in our own works, no trusting in anything else, but only trusting and believing in him. That's the only way salvation um, is attained. So Jesus uh, does uh, bring out that element of, uh, of the gospel, that indeed the good news that he came to proclaim to the poor was to set, um, release the captives, recover of sight of the blind, and liberation uh, to those that were oppressed. And this is all in the spiritual sense. But what's interesting also is that there is another element as well. 
Um, and unfortunately, like I pointed earlier on, for some, they just stop there. They say, that's the whole mission of the gospel. That's what Jesus came to proclaim, and that's us as a church. That's what we need to focus on. We need to go out into the world to proclaim the gospel so that people can be, uh, can be released from this captivity, so that people can be saved from their sins and they can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But I believe it goes a step further, and I will illustrate uh, through this passage and other passages that Jesus even takes it further, and he also looks at the other uh, component of the gospel as well, and us as a church, we have a mandate to also emphasize that second uh, component. And what is that second component? The mission of Jesus was to proclaim good news to the poor from captivity, blindness, and oppression to physical and social problems as well. I believe the gospel does have that element as well. There is a sense of liberation and salvation when it comes to physical and social uh, issues that people do encounter. And how do I, um, how do I support this? It's interesting. Uh, earlier on, I mentioned the two elements when it comes to uh, um, uh, the, uh, the day of the Lord. There was the liberation, the salvation element, but then there was also the, uh, uh, the judgment um, uh, co component as well. It's interesting that um, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gave um, a series, of, uh, a series of, of parables, and this is interesting that it's towards the end of his ministry. He's just about to head to, uh, to the cross, and now he gives a series of parables to talk about uh, the judgment that was, uh, that was to come. And particularly in Matthew chapter 25, um, and I'll read here um, 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep the, from the gods and will place the sheep on, the, on his right hand and the gods are to the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you, you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when did you see you as a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick and, or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then you say to those at the left hand, Depart from me, you cast into the internal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was angry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you did not give me something to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me and I was in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when did you see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment by the righteousness into eternal life. So it's interesting that, so here Jesus is talking about, um, again, looking forward, talking about that day of the Lord when he finally comes, that's the day of judgment. Um, and he says, 
there will be separation. There will be the sheep and the goats, um, you know, separated from one another. And when you look at the basis uh, through which they receive um, their reward for whatever works that they did, on the one hand, those are welcomed. He mentions things, um, physical and social issues that people, um, that he was uh, experiencing, and those came uh, to his aid, and he says, those will be welcomed in because they were able to undertake in, in that manner. And then those that were turned away, they did not get any, any reward because they did not do anything. Which brings about the question, so here is Jesus saying that we are then saved by our works. I don't think that's what he's actually pointing out here. What he's pointing out is once one is saved, once one comes to accept this gospel and they become a Christian, then there is a mandate that comes with that as well. So it's not like we are saved to go and sit in the corner and just remain there. Once you are saved, then there's the mission to go out into the world and to perform the works um, of, of, of Christ. And what are some of those works that he pointed out here? He's talking about feeding those that are hungry. He's talking about clothing those that are naked. He's talking about visiting those that are in, in prison. So through that, we're able to show that indeed we are believers, we are Christian. We are saved by faith, yes, but at the same time, we are then sent out into the world to undertake those things for those that are in need. And then at the end, with the, the Lord will then say, yes, well done, good and faithful servants, because we're able to undertake the mission, the, um, the mission or the mandate um, of, of the gospel. And so here we see that there's this second element of, of the gospel uh, mission. When we are saved, when we come to serve in faith in Jesus Christ, we are then sent out into the world. And what are we sent out to do? We're sent out to go and proclaim, but at the same time we're sent out to go and labor to labor and undertake for the needs, the social needs um, and the physical needs that people have. And Jesus, in, indeed, he did uh, show that through his, his ministry. As we go throughout the Gospels, we find him healing the sick. We find him, those that were physically blind, he did uh, bring sight to them. But also at the same time, those that were blind spiritually, he did bring salvation to them. So Jesus went out into the world with this mission of carrying out this two-handed gospel where he did undertake for the spiritual needs of the people, but at the same time he did undertake the physical and social needs um, of the people as well. And us as the church, we have the same mission. Just as the Father sent Jesus Christ into the world to proclaim this good news to the poor, Jesus then sends us as his disciples, those that have been saved, those that follow him, he sends us with the same mission as well. And what is our mission? Our mission should be twofold. On the one hand, our mission should be to go out and proclaim the good news, to good news to those that have not yet come to know Jesus Christ, those that have not yet experienced salvation, so that they too may experience uh, this salvation and may become part of uh, the fold of, um, of, of, of God. And this is one element of the gospel that we should labor as, uh, as believers, as a church, as individuals. We need to spend our effort, put our resources, we need to spend time in prayer and actually going out to proclaim this wonderful, this beautiful uh, gospel because there's no other means, there's no other way that people can be saved. There's no other way those that do not know Jesus Christ can come to know him except by hearing the gospel and coming to faith um, and trusting in him. And God in his providence, he has captured his word for us 
God has given us his word. He has given us his Bible. And the Bible does proclaim this gospel uh, to us. And I like one, the way uh, one author put it. He put it this way. This book is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. And its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort you, uh, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's map. Here, paradise is restored, heaven opened, the glory of and the glory of God is its end. It should fill the memory and rule the heart. It should guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. Follow its precepts, and it will lead you to Calvary, to the empty tomb, to the resurrected life in Christ Jesus. Yes, to glory itself for eternity. That is the summation of the gospel. That is the message that we need to take out uh, to the world. But also secondly, and more importantly as well, we have a mandate to go out and labor relentlessly, labor to bring those that are captive, uh, those that are blind and those that are oppressed by all sorts of physical and social elements in our society today. And when you look at what's going on um, in, our, in, in our country today, when you look at the social problems that do, we do encounter, whether it's uh, racial inequality, whether it's discrimination, whether it's um, all sorts of uh, social ills, there are so many ways as the church we can go out and make a difference in the world. We should go in, in the same way we go out to proclaim the gospel to those uh, that are, are held captive by sin, we need to also go out in the same effort and in the same energy to go out and to work relentlessly to make sure that we address the social needs uh, that, do, um, uh, that, do, um, uh, that we do experience in the world today. And there are plenty of opportunities all around for us to labor. It, coming from those that are held captive to drugs and alcohol, it be pornography, it be the blindness of physical or mental illness, it be the oppression of those that are marginalized on the basis of race, of gender, socioeconomic status, those that are powerless, those that are abused. There's so many opportunities around us for us as individual Christians, but also as corporately as a church as well, to look around us and see in our community what social needs are there there is such an opportunity right now when, when it comes to uh, racial issues in this country. There is such an opportunity right now. Instead of spending our effort and our time debating whether we should follow the Black Lives Matter movement or not, I think as a church, as a body of Christ, we need to come and say, what can we, coming from this mandate that we have been given from the gospel, what can we as, um, as a church do in order to speaking to that situation in order to labor to make sure that there is racial reconciliation that does take place in our country. Um, I believe the Christians, as Christians, as believers, we are the ones that have the answer. We can look to politicians, we can look to all sorts of uh, movements, but I believe as Christians coming, uh, coming out straight from the mandate that we have from the gospel, we do have the answer, we do have uh, the solution to some, of these, um, uh, to, to some of these problems, and so we need to go out with that mandate to make sure that we speak into those situations, we address those, uh, those situations, and 
the list can go on and on in terms of the different social um, aspects that, uh, that we do uh, encounter in the world today. And I believe as believers, we do have a mandate to go out and to proclaim. So in conclusion, what is our mandate from the gospel? The mandate that we have is to go out and labor relentlessly to make sure that those that have not come into uh, to salvation in Jesus Christ, they do hear the gospel. And they can only come to be saved by hearing the gospel proclaimed to them. So that is our first mandate. But at the same time, we also do have a mandate to go out and bring salvation to those that are helped captive by all sorts of physical and social ills that do uh, affect us in the world today. So that is our mission. So brothers and sisters, I hope that we do take our mission and our mandate very seriously and we go um, individually but also corporately as a church, we go out and make sure that we work relentlessly to make sure that this gospel, that this beautiful and wonderful and precious gospel that has been entrusted to us does go out and is proclaimed and people indeed will come to salvation, full salvation, spiritually, but also physically and, uh, and, uh, and socially as well. Let us pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, for the beautiful gospel that you have entrusted to us, Lord God. Father, I pray that indeed we may look up to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we may emulate him and go out and labor relentlessly to make sure that those that do not come to know you will indeed come to know you through the proclamation of your gospel. But also we pray that, Father, you would send us into the world as well to go and speak release of the captives, recover of sight for the blind, and liberty for the oppressed, those that are held by all sorts of physical and social ills as well. Father, indeed, may you empower us by the Holy Spirit to go out and fulfill the mandate that you have given us. I pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.